Bokatov, good morning everyone. Welcome to our Aliyah day. I am very glad that you are here. All of you precious people watching from across the fruited plain as we are diving in yet again to uh, another Aliyah of uh, the Torah. If you are a first-time guest on our program, then we welcome you. We're glad that you are here. I am uh, I'm especially glad and, and hope that this whole uh, experience will be a blessing to you. Be sure and subscribe to our channel if you have not done so and click the bell icon and uh, we would appreciate it very much. It would be a personal uh, favor to me if you would like the video and also leave a little comment, maybe something that you enjoyed about it, perhaps an, an insight that stuck out to you. Uh, that would be wonderful. We really enjoy uh, when that happens. All right, so we are going to be <clears throat> in the Art School of Humash on uh, page 991, page 991 of the Art School of Humash. We're going to begin reading in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, and we'll begin reading in verse 12. That will, And then this reading will take us all the way through to chapter 11, and what is it? Verse... Uh, five. No, I'm sorry. Verse nine, verse nine, as it were. All right. So a programming note. So this coming Shabbat is the grand opening for uh, the Sar Shalom Synagogue in Tulsa. Yay! And so it's going to be amazing. So if you're in the Tulsa area, we want you to be a part of that. We'd love for you to join us. If you live within, uh, let's say, 100 miles of Tulsa, then you qualify for being a member at the Tulsa Synagogue. So we will be there, which means that um, my family and I will be departing tomorrow morning to head north to the uh, great and magnificent city of Tulsa, which means we will not have a, an, a live version of the Aliyah Day. I am going to attempt later today, to pre-record the uh, Aliyah. Uh, I've never done that before, to pre-record it and set it to uh, schedule to release. But I'm going to attempt to do that. And some of you tech geniuses out there are probably saying it's so easy, and it probably is, but I just haven't done it. So I'm going to try to figure that out, which uh, is going to be amazing if I can do it. If I can do it, I will do it. If not, it will be a podcast. Either way, it's going to be amazing. Uh, Jim Rod, watching from Midland, Texas. Welcome, Jim. How amazing is that? Maybe someday we can have a uh, Lapid House, Lapid Synagogue in Midland, Odessa. There's lots of people in Midland, Odessa that are interested in Torah. Perhaps they would be interested in a fully Jewish life centered on Messiah Yeshua. So keep it up, Jim. Gather your uh, friends around you. That'd be fantastic. Anybody watching from Mobile, Alabama? I'm still praying that Shim should give us a uh, some type of Lapid house or something in and around uh, Mobile and the Gulf Coast area. That'd be fantastic. So if you're watching from Mobile or uh, Pensacola Beach, Florida, or perhaps uh, Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Mississippi? Gotta say it right. Mississippi. And we welcome you. All right. On to our reading. <laughs> Isn't this fun? Don't you have fun on the Aliyah day? I do. All right, page uh, 991 in your art scroll. Yes, Yiska, Florida, Florida. 
Of course. Absolutely. All right. Verse 12. Now, O Israel, what does Adonai your God ask of you? Only to fear Adonai your God, to go in all his ways and to love him, and to serve Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to observe the mitzvot, the commandments of Adonai, and his decrees, which I command you today for your benefit. Now, verse 13 is important. Because, well, first of all, Devarim is a wonderful book. Well, all the books of Torah are wonderful, of course, but Devarim uh, uh, may be special. I, I don't know. It, anyway, they're all good. But the, the point being is we've been hammering all week on these important statements that Hashem makes that we need to take note of. And here's another one. It says, to observe the commandments of Adonai and say and, and. And his decrees, which I command you today. So some people think, well, there are some commandments that we should keep. And there's others that just don't make any sense anymore. They're just kind of, uh, they're outdated. You know, God changed his mind. He used to really be interested in that. He doesn't anymore. Um, But in fact, in case we're confused, this is why God says, and you shall observe my commandments uh, and... Uh, my decrees. And so in the Hebrew, I'm just t- taking a glance at the Hebrew phrase here so we can get the full, the full intent- intention. It says, Lishmor et mitzvot. You shall guard my mitzvahs. So the, uh, Lishmor is like the root is uh, Shomer, like you should guard, which has the connotation of to be extra protective of. Lishmor et mitzvot Adonai ve'et hukatav. So the word hukatav are those are those those commandments that to us don't make any sense? Like somebody asked me just on uh, Monday, why we grow the beard? We're not allowed to shave it, as men, of course. And so um, I explained to him, it's a it's a hukat, it's a it's a commandment. We don't really have an explanation for it. We can surmise some things, and I went over with this man some some possible explanations but i'm always careful when i do that to to emphasize that what i'm telling you is a possible explanation it's like the the meat and dairy separation meat and dairy contrary meat and dairy separation contrary to popular belief is not capital n capital o capital t bold underlined not a rabbinic ordinance. It is a Torah law. According to the Torah, and by the way, every sect of Judaism for all time has believed that to be the truth. That's how they've interpreted it. It's a Torah, a Torah, Torah law. The question becomes, why is meat and Jerry separation uh, a commandment? And the answer is, we don't know. Now, we surmise that uh, milk represents life and meat represents death, so therefore the, never the two shall meet. And that's, a very, that, that's usually the one that everybody rests their hat on and say that's pretty much it. But, but even then, we're not really sure. I should also mention, not to get off of meat and dairy separation, but you will notice that despite the fact that there are dairy farmers in Israel in antiquity, there were never, ever, ever, ever any dairy offerings brought to the temple. Why? Because it was a place of meat. 
All right, so where are we? Verse 14. Behold, to Adonai your God are the heavens and the highest heavens, the earth and everything that's in it. Only your forefathers did Adonai cherish to love them, and he chose their offspring after them, you from among all the peoples as this day. You shall cut away the barrier of your heart and no longer stiffen your neck. For Adonai your God, he is the God of the powers of the Lord, the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, awesome God who does not show favor and does not accept a bribe. Now, many people have said uh, that, you know, we don't have to do circumcision, physical circumcision anymore, because what we have is we have the circumcision of the heart. Um, however, I want to point something out that in the this is when this is where we find the circumcision of the heart, where it says you shall cut away the barrier of your heart. So this is talking about the milah of the circumcision of your of your heart. But context, ladies and gentlemen, is extremely important because a verse taken out of context becomes a pretext. So you can take this out of context, and then it becomes a pretext to nullify the Word of God. So we say, well, I don't need physical circumcision anymore because I have, it has been replaced by circumcision of the heart. And many people believe this. Many people believe that back in the olden days that we used to circumcise the flesh, but that was only because we were ignorant and uh, somewhat barbaric. And now God has enlightened us and said that was back in the olden days, but now I'm more modern. God has an iPhone and an iPad, and he has the little uh, earbuds that doesn't have, a, doesn't have a string on it anymore. And so uh, everything's Bluetooth. And he says, you know, in the Bluetooth age, you don't need the physical. You don't even need to plug your phone in to charge it anymore. So why do we need circumcision? Here, just circumcise your heart. That's a text taken out of context, which becomes a pretext. A pretext for what? A pretext for violating God's law and feeling good about it. But in the context of this verse, it is in the context of keeping God's law. So God is here talking and admonishing us to be sure and don't disobey my mitzvot. In fact, I need you to circumcise your heart so that you will keep my law. So the very point of circumcision of the heart is to keep the commandments, which physical circumcision is a part of, the, of, of those commandments. Now, all of this, I, I, I talk a lot about logic and my droshes and so on. AirPods, thank you, honey. My daughter Hadassah said AirPods. I couldn't think of the name. <laughs> she's probably laughing. I know she's laughing right now. Um, we, 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 I talk a lot about the fact that if we will just employ God's gift to us called logic, we will avoid a lot of these theological issues. Let's just use that, that phrase. It's, it, this is a hashtag think for yourself, hashtag use your brain, hashtag logic. When you read, see, a lot of times in order for our theologies to get messed up, we have to suspend common sense. And this is a great point where here Hashem is talking about, he says in verse 13, be sure to observe the commandments of Adonai and his decrees. And in verse 16, he says, cut away the bear of your heart so that you're no longer stiff-necked. Stiff-necked how? By not obeying the law. But mankind comes along 
and uses verse 16 to nullify verse 13. It's crazy. So that's why I always say what I say, because you're all, all of you, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, all of you are intelligent. All of you are smart. And uh, all you need to do is use the gift that God gave you and you'll be safe. Verse 17. For Adonai, your God, he is the God of the powers of the Lord of the Lords, the great, mighty, awesome God who does not show favor, does not accept the bribe. He carries out the judgment of the orphan and the widow and loves the proselyte, that's the convert, to give him bread and a garment. You shall love the proselyte, for you were strangers in the land of Mitzrayim. Adonai your God, you shall fear him, you shall serve, to him you shall cleave, and to his name, and you, you shall swear. He is your praise, and he is your God, who did, not, who, who did for you these great and awesome things that your eyes saw. With 70 souls did your ancestors descend to Egypt, and now Adonai your God has made you like the stars of the heaven of abundance. Now, we're not quite through with the reading yet, but I do want to go ahead and share this source because I don't want to forget it. Sometimes we run out of time. And I don't want to miss this resource, or this source, rather. Let me just turn. This comes from, from uh, who is this? Rabbi Monk, to verse 22. He says, with 70 souls, says, we know that the number of Israelites who went down to Egypt with the patriarch Jacob was actually 69. <laughs> I, I know, Vincent's, Vincent keeps lobbying for an hour. I appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, um, since we know that the number of Israelites who went down to Egypt with the patriarch Jacob was actually 69. Now, we've covered this in times past, but this is a very, very important insight, particularly as it relates to the divine Mashiach. Now, now it says here, so there were 69, there weren't 70, there were not 70. So how is it that God is saying there were 70 souls, but there weren't 70 souls? If you do the math, it's 69. So it says here, the Shekinah, the divine presence, made up the number 70. And a similar phenomenon occurred on their ascent into the Holy Land. It says the number of able-bodied men was 60 myriads. That's 10,000 less one. That one was made up by the Shekinah itself. This comes from Peskita, Rabbi, the Rabbi Eliezer. Okay? And also, Rabbi Bakya points this out. So what does this mean? Let me break it down. Let me translate for you. It means that in both cases, that the descent to Egypt and the ascent into the Promised Land, the last man in both occasions... The last man counted was the Shekinah, that is divine presence, that is the Ruach HaKodesh, that is God. So if we say the last man, how do you say man in Hebrew? The word is Adam. So literally the, the last Adam, the final Adam, made up the final count both in the descent to exile and the ascent to the promise. And Yeshua said, Behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. Chapter 11. 
You shall love Adonai your God, and you shall safeguard his charge, his decrees, his ordinances, his commandments all the days. You should know today that it is not your children you do not know, and who did not see the chastisement of Adonai your God, his greatness, his strong hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs, his deeds, his performed in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt, to its horses and chariots, over whom he swept the waters of the sea, he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place. And what he did to Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, when the earth opened its mouth wide and swallowed them and their households and their tents and all the fortunes of their feet in the midst of all Israel, rather, it is your own eyes that see all the great work of Adonai, which he did. So you, we listen, we have firsthand knowledge of what Hashem has done for us and his greatness in our life. And so therefore we can't turn away. We talked about, I talked about it in a Josh a week or two ago that those unfortunate few people who, who get into a Torah lifestyle and they leave Yeshua, what is that, what, how, how does that even happen? And the answer is, well, how has it happened that we can be in the middle of the wilderness and we've got a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and manna in the morning and a, a, a rock that is following us around providing uh, uh, Ozarka uh, fresh water? And all the other miracles, every time we, we take off, the scorpions and the, and the snakes flee from before us. And in the midst of all of that, we turned away from Hashem. So one asked the question, well, how can somebody be brought to a Torah true life in Messiah and then get all enamored with uh, the lifestyle and get enamored with trying to be accepted and trying to be quote-unquote real? Uh, we'll talk about that psychology in just a moment. And somehow jettison Yeshua, who, who brought them there to begin with. He, he is the rock. He, they wouldn't even know about this if it hadn't been for him. How is it even possible that the, the one that brought you to life and life more abundant, you kick out the bus when you have it all? How is that possible? Well, God says, when you prosper, don't forget me. Why? Because that happens. Cannot forget why we are prospering. We're, we're, we're prospering because of Hashem. So, there's a story, by the way. This reminds me of a story I, 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 I read or listened to during the um, three weeks. And there was a, a man, and he went to a Zodic, and he was a very, very poor man. And he prayed to one of the Hasidic you know, rabbis, one of the Zodics of his time, that Hashem should prosper him. So Hashem prospered him. And he became very, very wealthy. And as he was becoming wealthy, he, he, he was a charitable person. But once he became really, really wealthy, he became miserly. And he refused to give anything. He refused to help anybody. And he just lavished upon himself all the luxuries of uh, life. And so finally, the townspeople who were des in desperate need appealed to the, the Rebbe, and the Rebbe decided he would go see the man. And so he went to see him, and the man at first did not want to receive him. He was very, very uh, hostile. 
Meanwhile, all the people of the village had gathered around this man's front gate because they were intrigued to see what would happen, what would be the fruit of the Rebbe's meeting. So the Rebbe, as the man was indignant and upset that he was there, he just simply walked right past him, went over to a nearby wall where there was hanging a small mirror and picked the mirror up off the wall and showed the mirror facing the man. And he asked the man, what do you see? And he, sees, he says, I see myself in, in the reflection. He said, okay. So the Rebbe took the mirror out of its uh, frame, and the mirror had a silver backing on it, which made the glass reflective. And the Rebbe proceeded to tear the silver off the back. And he put the, the, now the glass without the silver backing in front of the window that overlooked the courtyard where the people were gathered around the gate. And he said, what now? What, now what do you see? And now there's no reflection because the silver is gone. And he says, I see the people. And the Rebbe told him, he said, sometimes our wealth can serve only to show us ourselves and reflect ourselves back, but the purpose of the silver was in fact for you to be able to see the people. The purpose that God gave you wealth, he told the man, was to be a blessing to the people, not to get enamored with yourself. A lot of times when we come to a place of life and we come to a place of Wow, look at all this stuff I have. I'm now I'm, I'm, I'm a Jewish life. Let's just keep it in the context of what we're talking about here. I'm a Jew. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I've got all this, these mitzvot, candle lighting, whatever. And God says, I didn't bring you here for yourself. I didn't bring you here so that you should get so enamored and now it's all about you and, and how you fit into the community and what, how, how you feel like you're uh, real or not or you know whatever. Or get all enamored. I brought you here to be a light to the world. What happens very often is we, God brings us to a place and we jettison God. Not realizing that the reason he brought us there was so that we could serve him properly. Not so that we could get caught up in our own selves. So verse 8, so shall you observe the entire commandment that I command you today so that you will be strong and you will come and possess the land to which you are crossing. To possess it and so you shall prolong your days on the land that Adonai swore to your forefathers to give them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. Just to tie a bow on what I just was talking about, we should never think to ourselves that we are incapable of, of that calamity. We should never think to ourselves you know, I would never do that. Because at the moment we believe that we cannot fall, that's when we are in danger of falling. Now I want to share another insight with you. I'm an Orthodox Jew. My wife is an Orthodox Jewess. And our daughters are Orthodox young ladies. We live an orthodox life. We live an orthodox life in public. We live an orthodox life in private. We live an orthodox life in 
in our hometown and when we're on vacation and uh, all those kinds of things. This is, this is uh, real for us and we love it and life is awesome. Having said that, we have to be careful that we do not become enamored with man, no matter who man is, whether it's a Jewish man or non-Jewish man, because mankind is flawed. We have to be enamored with God. This is to juxtapose with what I just was talking about. To that point, I want to add this comment from Rabbi Monk to verse 20 of chapter 10. It says, Adonai your God you shall fear. So it says in the Hebrew, Et Adonai Eloheka Tirah. So it begins this phrase with Aleph Tav. Now it says here, the fear demanded here is actually awe and respect as we learn indirectly from a statement of Rabbi Akiva in the Talmud. He explains that the preposition Aleph Tav, which usually serves to suggest inclusion of some idea or subject, which is a whole discussion in itself because the Aleph Tav is Yeshua and the Aleph Tav does not have an English translation. It's just a, an interesting, I don't know what you'd call it, a word. But anyway, it normally represents something that is, say, that is there but not spoken of. So anyway, it says it here implies, according to Rabbi Akiva, it includes the, the, the wisdom of the scholars, the Talmudei Chachamim, that we're supposed to fear them as well. This is close to Talmud Pesachim 22b. This, this, this goes, basically we're saying here, you, you honor the scholar. But here's what I want to, I'm not really so much want to focus on what's being said here, but there's a point I want to make. And this is the point. Rabbi Bakya observes that Rabbi Akiva was uniquely qualified to give this particular explanation. Why? Because according to tradition, he was the only sage to enter into the metaphysical garden of Eden and come out unscathed. That's how, that's how high and how regarded Rabbi Akiva was. And so it's, it's what happens to people sometimes, as I've just said, we get enamored with man. But I want you to know that man is fallible. And as high of a level as Rabbi Akiva was, he is also, he also went down in history as naming the false Messiah, Bar Kogpa, as the Mashiach. He went to his death believing it. And it was all wrong. I just, let that be a Selah moment for us. It's not to denigrate anybody because we're all human. It's just to keep the focus where the focus needs to be. That's really, really the point. So I want to share another insight here. Um, we'll come back to this two arcs comment in a second. But I want to share this insight from our tour portion. Where are we? Here it is. Because there's, there's a discussion here about how can we bribe God. How is it possible for us to be able to bribe God? And the Midrash explains, um, first and foremost, bribing, of course, is a sin. You're not allowed to bribe anybody. 
okay? But it says the Midrash explains further that bribes which God takes, because God, it says here, does take a bribe of sorts. What is it, the bribe that he takes? The bribe that God accepts is the bribe of teshuva. That is turning away from our wickedness. Now, Rambam explains the process of teshuva, how one makes teshuva. He says the following are the parts of teshuva. The repenter should cry out persistently to God with tears and supplications. He should give charity to the extent of his ability. He should distance himself as much as possible from the matter which he had sinned. He should change his name as if to say, I'm a different person. This is why when people go through conversion, they take upon a Hebrew name after they've gone through conversion because they become a new person. He said, I am the same person who did those things. Or so, I'm sorry, he, he takes on a, a name to say he's a different person because he says, I am not the same person. You know, I, I am dead with Messiah. This is where all this comes from. It's all Jewish thought. There's nothing new in the New Testament. But I digress. It says, he should change all his actions for the better to follow an upright path. He should exile himself from his hometown since exile brings atonement and creates a spirit of humility. Now, the altar Rebbe says that's all true except for the except to add that the commandment of teshuva as required by the Torah is simply a resolution to abandon the sin. So in other words, when we have it in our heart to abandon sin, that's all that is required in order for the teshuva to be considered effective. Okay? Not that all the other stuff that Rambam said is not important, but when it comes down to it, all somebody says is, God, I want to change. And Hashem, Hashem accepts that as our teshuva. So it says, thus, even before a person has carried out the entire process mentioned by Rambam, he is considered as to have repented. Now, there's a beautiful analogy here that says, what then is needed why or what then is the need to cry out persistently to God with tears and supplications and change all of his actions for the better? What need is there if it's already fulfilled, if the person just by wanting to repent has already fulfilled the commandment? And the Gutnik Humash relates it back to this that when somebody says, I want to change, I'm going to change, God, please help me change. That is like conception, and all the other stuff is like the baby growing in the room that gives birth to a new identity. Because it's one thing to say, God, I want to change. But then when we begin to actually act upon that change, that's when we become born again because we take on a new identity. But, but ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't happen overnight. From, it says here, from God's perspective, as soon as the person resolves in his mind not to sin, the seed of potential zodiac is sown. And the key part of repentance has already, been taken, has already taken place. From this point on, it's only a matter of time until the genuine emotions that have surfaced will materialize into the changes of lifestyle that will eradicate the sin. In other words, at the moment we make teshuva, at the moment, this applies to converts as well, of course, naturally, because... Whether you're about tshuva or a convert, really it's the same thing. You're coming back to the Torah. So from, the, from that point of view, the moment you decide that you want to convert, you want to come back to God, and yet you, you're, you're, you're brand new, you don't even know what all to do, all you know is that you want it, at that very moment, God considers you a zodic, 
but you don't feel like exotic. Mentally, you don't feel like exotic. You feel like you're just, you feel like you're, you're fumbling around. You feel like you don't even know what you're doing. It takes time to really, really begin to feel that you're walking in that new identity. And my friends, that's where most people, I told you I was going to talk about the psychology. This is where most people get messed up. Because they don't feel like a Zodic. They don't feel like a Jew because it just takes time. And this is where the enemy comes in and whispers and says, you're not a real Jew. If you want to really be a real Jew, kick the Messiah to the curb. Then you'll be really accepted. This is where people get messed up. And this is, this is just me helping you right now. You don't, you say, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm all that. Well, on, on one hand, that's good. We should always have that humble spirit, but you should also know it's natural and normal. I'm going to conclude with this. A rabbi was taking a man through conversion and the man was feeling a little bit like I'm talking. And the man said, but Rabbi, my last name is Johnson, and Johnson is not a Jewish surname. And the rabbi said, it is now. End of our Aliyah. With God's help, we'll have a uh, pre-recorded Aliyah for tomorrow. If not on video, at least on podcast, but uh, we're going to try to make it happen. So bless you. God love you. Uh, have a great, wonderful, and amazing day, and we'll see everybody then. Shalom, shalom.